Amen. Well, good morning. Our God is good. You believe that? Let me hear you say amen. 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 I invite you to turn me to our opening text in our Bibles to Romans chapter 12, verse 12. Romans chapter 12, verse 12 in your Bibles. This morning, the sermon is entitled, God's Lessons of Suffering for Me. God's Lessons of Suffering for Me. Throughout my years in pastor ministry, the Lord has used many different means in order to teach me about His character of love. We've been studying God's character of love. So this morning, I'm going to be sharing my, my testimony. You hear a lot of testimonies. So I felt inspired to share my testimony. I felt impelled and compelled to share it, actually, about God's lessons He has taught me as a minister. So not before I was converted, but as a minister in the gospel. This morning, I want to share with you how I believe God has led me and taught me to the things I've learned and experienced, especially being as a, as a pastor here in the Hawaii Conference. And as I share with you my journey, I pray that my experiences will be an encouragement and it will help and strengthen, strengthen you in your walk with Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Father, as your word is open, we pray, Lord, that you may teach us great and marvelous things out of your word. Pray that you may speak through me and may I be a humble vessel, Lord, is your prayer in Jesus, my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Romans chapter 12, verse 12. What is one of the lessons that God wants us to learn? Notice the Bible says. The Bible says, rejoicing in hope, patient in what? Tribulation. Continuing instant in prayer. In other words, God wants his people to be patient or to suffer long whenever they're suffering without complaining, right? Amen? Amen. And that's what God wants us to do. He wants us to go through trials and hardships without murmuring or complaining what you're going through. Now, I don't know about you, but I have always been, especially before I was converted, a very impatient person. And God had to teach me many things as a minister. And one of the very lessons, less, first lessons he wanted to teach me was the lesson of patience. And he used the ministry to teach me this lesson. But there's one thing, we cannot of ourselves be patient. In our own sinful natures, we don't have it within ourselves, okay, I'm going to be patient, I need to be patient. We cannot force ourselves or make ourselves patient. All we can do is behold the patience of a God who suffered on the cross without complaining, and as we behold that patience, we become changed into that very patience of love, right? Amen? And that's the God that I serve this morning. How about you? When I first became a minister, it was 11 years ago. You know, I was on fire for God. I really love God with all of my heart. And what I wanted to do when I first came into the ministry, I had seen what God had done for me. I had experienced His love, and I wanted everyone to experience the truth, and I've learned the truth about who God was, and His present truth, and the truth about the prophecies, and character, and, and, and God's government, and different things. And I wanted to share this with God's remnant church. And I was excited. 
And so, when, but when I began the ministry of a pastor, I realized that what has seen as God's perfect remnant church was in reality far from perfect. But not only that, I realized that we have become, the Seventh-day Adventist church have become just like the Jewish church, in that which the world was in many ways much more moral than the people, including myself, within God's perfect remnant church. When I realized this, I became discouraged. When I first came to this church, it was 11 years ago, and I came inside, I remember, I know I shared different pieces of testimony before, but I'm going to bring it all together. I'm going to share things I haven't shared before and pull into one testimony. When I came into this church, I really believed that God wasn't going to bless this church as I shared before. And I looked inside, you know, I had those actually old pictures, and I did, I put in a, there's actually a, a binder, a photo album, and I put it on the potluck table below. So when we go for potluck, you can look at these old pictures. And it has the pictures of this church. And it's all dark and green and brown inside. There were different pews. Back here was a green curtain. How many remember the green curtain? Does anyone remember the green curtain? Three people? Four? Okay, you were there, huh? So this had this green curtain behind it. As I peeked behind, it was just two by fours in the wall. It wasn't even painted. It was just the regular wood color. And I thought, when I walked in here, I looked at, there's no way God's going to bless this church. We're just a handful of people, I remember. And I thought, there's no way that God can bless this church. There was just a handful of people, and as I told by the head elder, that two previous conference presidents want, were going to shut this church down. They told him that, I don't know what to do with this church anymore. Uh, what do you think we should do? I think we should shut it down. And so what we did was we got a team of workers, and this is the second time in history we're actually getting a team of workers, always just one worker, remember? And so we got a team of workers, and we decided we're going to do, by the grace of God, and with God being ahead of this church, we're going to do evangelism within this community. So what we did was we got together, we had a team of workers, and they went out. We didn't mail any flyers through the mail, actually. It was actually all one-on-one -on -one Bible work. And so we went to the, door, to the homes. We had evangelistic meetings with Peter Gregory. Do you remember that? The first meetings. And so Peter Gregory came here. We had his meetings out at a big tent meeting out here. And then the people came, and the Bible workers went out, and some of you are a result of that evangelistic meeting, right? And, God, and you praise God for that. Amen. In fact, my, my wife and my mother-in-law was a result of the evangelistic meeting. And that's why I really praise God and I'm thankful for evangelism. Amen? So God really blessed. And God brought in the people. And this church and God, the church grew. And the church was getting excited. And the leadership when I first got here was just a few people. And they told me, whatever you want, Pastor, because they saw things are getting exciting and things are moving. And the church was growing and it got really big. It was growing and growing. And then you would think at this time that everyone would be happy. But unfortunately, that was not the case. It was during this time of rapid growth then in one of the board meetings, they had a board meeting here, and the leaders got together, and the old, old leaders. It was during this time of rapid growth, and the church is growing, and the church is exploring. A lot of people are coming, everything's going well. That at this board meeting, while these 
right after these meetings was going on, the, the leaders of this church got angry at me. And they got upset at me because I wasn't asking them for permission for what I was doing in every detail. I remember there were people standing up, they were yelling and screaming at me for what I was doing. And I will never forget that meeting. I remember sitting there and flashing through my mind, is this what, is this what it's really all about? Shouldn't we be happy that the church is growing, is ex- exploding, they're going to shut down the church, and they told me, whatever you want to do, do whatever you want to do. But when the church was finally growing, that they're actually getting angry. And I realized why, in the end, why they didn't want. What they really wanted me to do was, they wanted to control everything like they've always done. And as the church got bigger, they're realizing that they're losing the control and the power within the church. I never forgot that church board meeting. First time I've ever cried in front of a church board. I thought to myself, is this what God called me into the ministry for? To go against the very thing that you call me to? To get specific permission for everything that's going on? To not be happy when everyone else is? In the end, it's, it's funny how things work out. What they feared is the very thing that happened in the end. And the new leadership saw the control and eventually voted everyone out. Or they moved on. Or something happened. As this church began to grow rapidly, other things began to happen. You know when you, all those who live godly in Christ Jesus, what the Bible says, will what? Suffer persecution. You know you think, now you, many of you only know the good things that happen, right? But you know, behind the scenes, there are a lot of things that happen that if you only knew. This morning, I'm going to share with you what my personal experiences. And we're going to be personal this morning. I want to show you what really happened. Because I want us to realize the power of God overriding all the bad things and turning them all to good. Amen? Amen. Sometimes we don't see the power of God because we don't see how far He's taking things and turned things around. So as things began to grow rapidly, you would think that everyone would be happy, everything would be good. Everything would be so fine and dandy, but that's not how it turned out. And things began to go rapidly in the church, and God was blessing and pouring out His Spirit. Another thing happened. I feel the leaders, the old leaders of this church, felt that they needed to get rid of me. So they called the conference president for a special meeting with me, not telling anyone else. And I felt of the conviction that, you know, Jesus never defended Himself, right? Is that true? You know, he was going to the cross. He said he was a lamb as going to a slaughter. He never defended himself. I thought, I'm not going to defend myself. I'm not going to tell anyone about this meeting. So Saturday came, and it just happened, and not by chance, but by providence, that a couple of the members said, so pastor, what are you doing tonight? And so I, have a, I said, told them I had a board meeting, a special meeting. So what meeting is this? So well, they called a special meeting with the conference president and a few of them, and they want to meet with me. So I said, Really? I said, yeah, what do you think? And I said, well, I don't know how it looks. It doesn't look good. I said, what? We're going to come to this meeting. And by providence, without me saying a word, they came to that board meeting. And they defended me against these people who were the conference president. And because of that, beloved, I'm still in this church. Amen? Amen. 
God, through providence, worked it out at the right time. He brought the right people. Without me saying a word, as a lamb going, out to, the, going to the slaughter, I was dumb. That say not a word. I believe we need not to defend ourselves if we're standing for what is right and the truth, beloved. Amen? God had overturned that incident for good. But that wasn't the last time that God had overruled and protected us. He would do so much more so many times. Peter Gregory is here, and he told me this. When Peter Gregory is here, he said to me, you know, every time it seems like the door was going to close, and it seemed like this is it for us, he said the door would open up wider than it was before the incident happened. That's what he told me. And I saw God move from event to situation to situation, and God moved in a powerful way. Now, as the church began to grow, another thing happened. Two different unrelated people came to me, and they asked me for help, and they said, Pastor, we really need your help. So I got together with the elders of this church, and we discussed this situation, and they told me that there is this lady in this church who was on the church board, who was a leader of this church, who was actually the matriarch of the church, so the one who really ran this church at that time, who created a lot of problems for me also. They said, they came up to me and said, Pastor, we need your help because this woman is proclaiming to be a prophetess. And she's claiming to be a prophet. What she's doing is she's sending us letters in the name of saying that she is God himself rebuking them. And knowing that, but she had, they, had, they gave me these letters, I still have it all on file. They gave me these letters. You see how Satan works when God is really moving? So they sent me a letter and also had a voicemail recording they gave to me, I still have it on file, of actually this person speaking in a scary tone, rebuking them for not listening to God claiming that she is God. They shared me experiences where this woman was actually had out-of-body experiences with them. They shared me where this woman was able to speak in a voice that was not her own. They said, I know this lady. I know her so well because we've known her for a while. I know when she laughs. I know when she cries. I know when she's happy. I know every voice, but the voice he spoke to me when she went into a vision, a trance, was not her voice. And one of the ladies shared to me, Pastor, we really need help because this lady is not only prophesying and rebuking us, but this lady is actually stalking us and stalking me. One of the ladies said that, stalking me. So we decided to discipline her. We called a meeting with the emergency meeting with the board. We got all the leadership together. We talked with them and we had a, a so we got her to give a voluntary censor and she resigned from all her positions. And that's what happened. And then when she resigned from all her positions, uh, she didn't though give up stalking this one lady. So the lady was talking to me and said she hasn't quit, she's still stalking me. And said, okay, what we need to do is we need to take this to the church body as a business meeting, and we need to pull everyone together. We need to talk about and let the body decide, right, what should be done. That was the next step. We did the other steps. It didn't work. We're trying to, the last step according to the Matthew 18, right? So as we did this, we were planning to have this business meeting and discuss what the body wanted to do. And at that moment, 
the conference president called me up and he said to me, Pastor Keala, we hear you had this business meeting with someone to discipline them. I want to let you know that you would not have that meeting. You're not going to have that meeting at all. I want you to cancel that meeting. I said, but why? We did this. We followed Matthew 18. We went to this step. It didn't work, so we're going to take it to the body. We let the body decide what, what happened. I said, I don't want you to have that meeting. I said, but why? This woman, people are asking us for help. It's a, it's a responsibility of the under-shepherds, the elders and myself, to do something about this, to, to stand up for what is right, to, to take care of the situation. He said, he didn't give any reasons. I asked him why he didn't give no reasons. He said, you're not going to have that meeting. I said, I said with all due respect, elder, we're going to have that meeting. And he said to me, if you have that meeting, I'm going to come to you in person and stop you myself. And I remember saying to him, I'm going to see you there. And we hung up. It was from that moment on, we dealt with that situation. It was from that moment on, that the conference president and myself never got along. But this whole incident of these churches, and here's the hard thing, hardest thing about this situation. This conference president, when I first got hired, he brought me into the ministry. When he first got hired, he told me himself, he said, Keala, I covet your success. In other words, I want you to be successful. I want you to do well. He was excited about what we were doing. We had a call porter program. He, 12 years ago, I started. He actually gave me $3,000 for my call putter program to get it going. He was very supportive. What I, everything I'd done, he was there for me. He wanted me to succeed. And when we first started these, when I first started ministry in Honoka and Kohala, God really blessed these churches. And the churches really grew rapidly within membership and tithe. And every month they sent the tithe report of the pastors, how they did it. And at the end of the year, he, he wrote a cover letter and he wrote out, all, he should have done this. I think it, it ostracized some of the pastors against me. But he, he wrote and says, I want you to notice our increase in time, but I want you to especially notice the increase of Pastor Keala's both churches over 50% for both churches. In other words, he was so grateful for what, how God is blessing the ministries in these two churches that he was very supportive. He, he had done that. And now all of a sudden, he was, he, our relationship that was so good at one time, he had gone the other way, and now we're at enemies. And, and beloved, at this time, I don't have any, any bitterness at all for him. I truly love that brother. And God wanted me to see and experience the lesson he had for suffering for me. So I went through this experience with him, and things, as I thought, would get better, had only gotten worse. But I believe that sincerely that as a sheep was in trouble and asking for help, it was our responsibility as leaders to help. I found out later from a friend on the Ezekiel Committee on the conference level that the reason why they had pulled back and wanted us to get away from this situation was because the Hawaii conference was threatened that someone was going to sue them. And I share with this executive committee member, I said, why is it that we, when compared to what is biblically right to do and losing money, we're going to choose money over what God says in his word? Why can't we do things right just because it is right? Amen? Not worry about, we're going to get, 
we're going to get sued, we're going to lose money, this is the situation. Why can't we do right just because God says this is what we should do, right? Amen? It's from this time that my relationship with the confidence president got, went from bad to worse. He had tried everything possible after this to try to get rid of me, to try to send me away, to try to get me fired many different times. But every time he would try to do that and get rid of me, the Lord would protect me time and time and time again. By God's grace, I'm still here this morning, beloved. Amen? Amen. And it's only because of God's grace that I am still here this morning. One time he called a meeting with the pastors on this island. We have meetings together. He called all the pastors together on this island, and he had a meeting with me with the pastors and saying I had made mistakes. I should have done these things. I should be sent away. And remember the meeting after. After he left, the two pastors with me and him, the president, and he left, and one of these two pastors on this island, one was on the other side, one was in Hilo, and the other pastor who used to be a conference president before, so he understood everything. He said to me after, he said, you know, Keala, he should never say those things that he said to you. And then the other pastor said to me, Keala, who oversaw me, was my mentor, he said to me, Keala, I saw everything you did, and you did not make any mistake. I would have done everything you would have done if I was in your shoes. No, God knew I needed that. In a time when I felt that everything was against me, the leadership was against me, all this was against me, I needed the assurance that I did do something right. I was following what God wanted me to do. So as they shared this with me, I realized that God had allowed these things for a reason. Not that I was doing things because I made mistakes, but I was being, I was being going to tribulation and I was suffering. You know, many of us suffer things because we create, we make our own bed and we sleep in it, right? But these were things that I felt and I knew was right and people affirmed and fellow colleagues of mine affirmed that what I was doing was right and it wasn't a mistake of my own, that I was being mistreated for standing for what I believe was right. It was a painful time for me. I was going through intense suffering at this time. Not for doing wrong, but for doing right. Things got worse. Time was coming up for my day of ordination. In this situation, my ordination. And he had presented things to other people in a light that they saw me a certain way. So all of my fellow colleagues among the, in the whole conference, all my fellow pastors, they all looked down upon me. They all ostracized me. They all didn't like me. They always, almost since there was a wall between us. And I didn't know why there was this wall until just a few years ago, one of my fellow colleague, pastoral colleagues told me and said, you know, Keala, I need to tell you this, but the previous conference president told me that don't ever let Keala or any of his workers ever come into your church. And I realized that not only was it between me and him, it spread throughout the conference. So not only had the administration and the president and all the administrators, they were all against me. The other people had threatened me with my job security. All the pastors, they were ostracizing me. 
on the executive committee up there, which is the leadership up there in the executive committee, they were making policies to discipline me for what they saw I was making mistakes. The church leadership in the local church were against me. The pastors on this island, as the new pastors came in and they heard things, they were against me. And as I look at all these different things, I realized that all these things were happening to me. I'm wondering, why am I going through this? Is this what really, I have come into the ministry because I had a heart for God. I love God. I want to serve God with all my heart. There's nothing I wanted to do but was to serve God with all my heart. And is this what I'm getting for repayment, for trying to be faithful to God? And I realized that maybe this was not my calling. Maybe this wasn't the place that I should be. And that's a question. There's been days and years that gone by where I, I question, is this really what God wants me to be? You know how many hundreds of times I thought and I questioned myself, should I even be a pastor? You know how many times I was tempted to quit being a pastor in the conference, going through all these different things? Not only did all these things happen, all these things, all these different leadership were isolated against me. To make matters worse, it was during this time that right before I was to be ordained, a few months before that, just a few months, the president promoted on the executive committee a policy that would make sure that I would not be ordained. And so that policy was passed just a few months before, and then I knew that I would never be ordained in this conference or ever in my whole life. And there I was, so discouraged. I had hit my rock bottom. It was during this time that I had fallen in my walk with God. I still remember having my morning devotions. Every morning, you know, I go outside and I, I pray. I spend time with God for like an hour outside and just pray to God and just pour my heart out to God. And I remember this time and I feel like my, motion, my morning devotions were just dry. You ever have felt that way before? This dry is a, here was a good boy. It didn't mean anything. My prayers weren't going anywhere. And it's pouring my heart to God in. But I felt like I had nowhere else to go in the world because everywhere I turned, there was only condemnation toward me. No one was supported. I felt that no one really truly supported me out there. So I turned to God and I turned to the only one who I felt truly loved me at that time. And even though I had lost, I believe, my works of conversion at that time, I still clung, clung close to the, the only thing I had left was a Jesus Christ. What is the final generation of saints known for? Turn to Revelation chapter 14, verse 12. Revelation chapter 14, verse 12 in your Bibles. What was it that God trying to teach me? trying to teach us. You know what the Bible says? What is the final generation of saints known for? The Bible says, here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. God's last day people who are God's remnant church are obedient. They have the faith of Jesus. They keep these things that are given to them by God. But these saints are known as here are they who, here are the patients. In other words, these saints have learned the lesson what it is to suffer for a long time and not complain about their God. Amen? 
These people have learned what it is to trust in the character of a God that even though things don't look good, even things are going bad, even though things are going through suffering, that they can trust in a God that no matter what happens, that God still loves them and allows things to happen in their lives, right? Amen? God was teaching me this lesson during this time that I remember that God wanted me to learn this lesson. I, the only thing that kept me going through this whole time was my walk with Jesus Christ. I remember so many times the Lord protected me from being forced to leave. I remember the time when a conference president came down to this church to tell everyone that I was going to, be, I was going to leave and be forced to leave. Do you remember, somebody remember that? And as he met with the whole body, people came from different areas on the island, from Hilo Church and different areas, and the people spoke so strongly in this meeting that the end he says, okay, you win, Keala can stay. And everyone clapped and got cheered and got excited. Remember that time? And God blessed. And God protected time and time again. I realized the fact that I'm still here is proof enough that God still wants me in this church 11 years later. Amen? Amen. His work is not done. And I feel a renewal of heart, revival and reformation in my own life. And I feel God wants to do a second reformation in this Honokah church once again. Amen? Amen. And it's going to be much greater, I believe. Because we're going to focus on the foundation of God's character of love. I've learned a lesson that it is when you finally come to the point in your walk with God that you become content at where you're at, that God then starts to turn things around. Is that true? When you finally say, okay, God, I accept what is happening to me. I'm not going to be complaining anymore. I'm going to be content in my situation. When I finally realize that, then God, without me even thinking about, okay, God, this is, I can't change anything. I'm allowing to whatever happens to me, whatever happens. They want to get rid of me. They're threatening to fire me all the time. That's fine. When I left it in God's hands, that's when things started to change. It was announced that the president was leaving the conference. It was at this time that things began to slowly change. It didn't all happen at once, but one by one, some of the administrators that were with him, they also left. Things happened and they went away, or things happened to them. And God allowed things to change slowly, one by one, and was turning things around for good. And I finally saw, when I finally contended with my situation, I saw things got moving and changing, and God was working in a powerful way. With the change in leadership, there was also a change in the exit of a lot of pastor or staff. And a lot of them without who had the baggage of the negative things toward me left. And a lot of new people came and we had fresh new relationships, which we're not biased with. I remember the office staff, they also started to treat me with respect for the first time in the conference. The pastors on this island who are new, they started to also treat me with a different respect. They didn't know the past. A few of them did. But they saw the things that changed, and they saw that I wasn't what was made out to be. One of the pastors on this island, in fact, we've gotten so close that the conference administration has told us many times and said to us, 
your pastoral team on this island is a role model for how pastoral teams should be for all islands. God had turned where at one time these people didn't even like me, ostracized me, wouldn't even talk to me. And all of a sudden now these pastors on this island were working together as a team in unity. And one of the pastors said that he was told not to let me go into his churches and to be aware of me. He even told me himself, he tells me time and time again, he said, and I praise God for this, and I give God all the glory, but he told me over and over again, he said, Pastor, he said, Keala, truly you are my role model. And I look at this, here's this guy who was told, beware of me, be careful of me, and ended up so positive toward me. I can only give God the glory for what he has done. The executive committee was at one time passed policies that felt they needed to discipline me is today supportive of what I do. Not only that, but I was also elected to the executive committee. And here's how God works. Now, those of you know how the church structure works, the executive committee today is like, is what it is, a, a committee of executives. In other words, the committee today is the highest position as a committee there is in a local conference or in a union or the division of a world church. It's higher than a conference president. And it's like they call it the Sanhedrin of today. That's what they call it. And here I am, and the only way I got elected on the executive committee is this. Because I was going through the suffering, because I was going through the mistreatment, there were people that felt that I was misrepresented and that I should be on the executive committee to represent myself so I wouldn't be mistreated. Does that mean how God works? If I wasn't mistreated, if I wasn't going through all these things, I wasn't treated bad, I would have never been neglected to that such a position. So I got elected to this position. In fact, I was the youngest person on the executive committee. There have been pastors and administrators who have said this to other people. They said, why is it that I never got on the executive committee? It's a desire for these leadership. I didn't care if I was on it or not. But God put me on there for some reason. For such a time as this, I believe. And these, these pastors want to be on, and I didn't really want to be on, and God puts me on as the youngest person, not only pastor, but the youngest person. Here are these, with these very um, influential people and wealthy people, people who have raised churches in Hawaii. And God had put me on this committee at a young age. In fact, when they put my name out on the agenda for being to be voted on, it was actually said, he can't be on because he's too young. But let no man despise you for your youth. Amen. Amen. I was elected for the executive committee, placed on the executive committee, served for four years. I got reelected again, another four years, to be on the executive committee. And this past April, the people felt that. They wanted to do a whole new clean slate and do away with the whole executive committee. Except keep a few. And they were mandated to keep five. Five people they're going to keep. By God's grace, they voted me back again for the third time. I was one of those five people. 
somehow at a point where the executive committee was completely against me, antagonistic against me. God had turned it around where now all these people who are antagonistic with me or negative me, they're no longer, most of them are no longer on the executive committee. And the people re-elected me for the third term as one of the few people to be on. And I can only praise God that this is totally and completely the work of God. No man can do that. I never, I never promoted myself and said, please vote me on. I've always allowed God to, God, if that's what happens, then that's what happens. I'm not going to lobby for any position. God is the one that sets up kings and kingdoms. Amen? And pulls this and down. Soon after the new president came, I was a delegate to the Pacific Union Consistency Meeting. I was voted to be a delegate. I was in the back of this room talking with another executive committee member. And as we were talking, he said, you know, Keala, this new president's here, but you need to talk with the new president. And I said to, I said to him, look, I'm not going to defend myself. And this friend of mine is a very influential person on the executive committee. And as we were talking, he's, he said, you need to talk to this new president. I said, I don't want to promote myself or try and you know, make it seem like I want to solve this issue. He said, especially when you go out to your ordination. And then he said, well, you need to talk somehow. God needs to work it out. I said, he needs to work it out. And as we said that, the speaker was speaking, and we're in the back of the room, and the speaker said, I'm going to do something different. I'm going to ask that you break into groups of twos and threes and that you pray at this moment. And as soon as he said that, the conference president walks in through the door, right where we're at, looks around, looks at us, and says, shall we pray, gentlemen? We got down on our knees. We prayed. And as soon as we got up, my friend said, you two need to talk. And he said, okay, we'll talk. We spent two hours that afternoon talking. And I shared with him what was my heart and what happened. As soon as we got back, this president set things in order. He felt things were not right. He set things in order in a positive direction. He, I was taken off the ordination track because they said I was, I was being antagonistic toward the conference. I wasn't listening. They took me off the ordination track. That I wasn't even being considered for ordination, let alone being on the track. They put me back on the track. The ordination committee reviewed me and said that they're going to have a final examination. That means they want to move forward with my ordination. I met with that final examination with a committee passed that ordination, then they sent it to the personnel committee. They voted to have me ordained. They sent in a recommendation to the executive committee at the Hawaii conference. They voted to have me ordained. They sent it to the Pacific Union executive committee to have me ordained. They voted, and I was ordained three years ago, June 16, 2007. What have seemed impossible to me and to many other people was possible with God. Amen? God had moved in a powerful way. This president that God has brought here has been very supportive of what the ministry God has given to me. I remember when he first came, and now he's on the executive committee, and I was there, and we're on the executive committee, and I had never been asked in eight years or whatever, or seven, six years to pray at all, never been asked. And he asked me to pray at the executive committee. Kiala, would you pray? I mean, I was touched that he asked me to pray for the first time. And there I prayed at the executive committee. 
And then the next executive committee, as it was ending, he said, Kiala, would you have a closing prayer for us? I'm thinking, not only asked me to pray, but he asked me to pray two times in a row. I couldn't believe it. And then the next executive committee, I remember coming home and said, guess what? You're never going to guess this. And she said, what? I said, he asked me to pray again. <laughs> and Yvette said, I can't believe that. And then the next executive committee, it went on for like four or five times that I had to ask my wife, you're not going to believe this. She knew the routine, so she would say, he asked you to pray again? I go, yeah, he asked me to pray again. God had turned around. Now there was where I've always wanted to have a good relationship with the conference president. All of a sudden, God turned around after how many years, and God wanted to see how faithful I was. And then he, re he realized that he, to give me the desires of my heart, and he restored the relationship I had with the conference president. This conference president became very supportive and one of my strongest supporters and is one of my strongest supporters today. He's supportive of the vision God has given me to do. There are times, even like last year, I felt I told him, look, I'm going to have to be going against certain of the leaders within my churches because I feel they're going astray and they're not going the right way that God wants them to go. And you're probably going to get some phone calls. And he said, Keala, I haven't gotten any phone calls. And I kept asking him. And he said, and even if I got a phone call, I will still support you, he told me. My wife said, it seems almost scary at times at the support compared to what it was before. He wrote a letter of recommendation for me this recently. And as I read it, I was brought to tears at how supportive he was in the ministry he has given to me. Recently, just recently, he called me to let me know also that he had talked to his mother and his mom sent him a check and the mom said, son, give this money to where you feel it would be best used. And he called me up and he said, Kiala, my mom, can you think about it? Your old mom gives you money. And he said, my mom gave me money. And he could have used it anywhere else in the whole conference. He said, my mom gave me money. And when she said to put it where you feel it would be best be used, he said, I thought of you. And he did that twice in the last year. I realized that even though I have made many mistakes, God saw my heart's desire to do what is right, and he blessed me above all I could ever ask or think. Our God is a loving and a faithful God. Amen? And even though we don't deserve it, he still loves us and he still blesses us. There's another thing that also happened this time. During this time while things were going on and all these trials were going on, as you know, my wife got pregnant and she had preeclampsia, severe preeclampsia. And things went from bad for worse in her, in her health and we, they tried everything to save the baby. She, had, she was bedridden, she had to stay at home. And finally, she went to the doctor, and the doctor said, check yourself into the emergency room. You're in a serious condition. And so we checked herself in. I came, and then it was decided that we need to medevac her, the air ambulance her out to Honolulu, to Kapiolani Hospital, because her health wasn't doing well. And so we went there on Friday to Kapiolani. And finally, on Saturday, they took her up to the ultrasound room. And I'll never forget, they took her up there to the ultrasound room and the doctor said, you know, her situation is so serious that we're going to have to do an emergency C-section and get the baby out. 
And I thought to myself, will she even survive? And we asked, how, much, how heavy do you think the baby is? And he estimated a little over two pounds. And I thought to myself, we're not going to see this baby. But my wife's health was more important. So I said, we're going to try and keep the baby in as long as possible within her stomach and so we can save both. So we thought we would save, wait a few days. But that night, they rushed in and said, we got to take her in right now and have an emergency C-section for her. I said, why? Explain to me. He said, well, she's losing her liver's going down, and she has what is called HELP syndrome, which she can die from. And so they wheeled her way into the emergency room, and the, the operating room, and they had surgery, and they, they took the baby out. And I'll never forget. That's when Anya was born, May 15, 2004. Two pounds, five ounces. No complications, no illnesses. Now, do my daughter stay in NICU? We were very strict with my wife's diet and with Anya's diet. And we were, I was fighting all the time with the hospital administrator, the staffing there, and the doctor, especially one doctor. She was always on me. And she used to say, unless you change your diet, we're vegetarian, we're vegan, no dairy. They told us, my wife and myself, you know, you don't want your daughter to come out dumb. In other words, you got to eat meat. You got to eat dairy. But I knew from the Bible and the spirit of prophecy that God's diet is best no matter what man says. Amen? So my child is going to come out dumb. And so we, you must give in to what we're saying. And the pressure was so strong. I remember when I came home here, they used to pressure her up there, my wife up there in, the, in Oahu, to get her to do what they wanted her to do. And I remember they also told us that we can't feed her soy milk to a baby until she's at least one year old. Well, guess what? I, I didn't take that word for it. I called Loma Linda University Hospital, our Adventist hospital, and I asked them, what is, it, how, what is the recommendation? They said, that's not true. The AMA does not recommend one year. The AMA recommends you can't feed soy milk to a baby under four pounds. And so if we didn't have enough breast milk, we brought her home. We continue on with our same diet. We fed Anya. We had our own soy, soybeans, and we actually made our home homemade organic soy milk and fed it to her after she was four pounds, before she was one years old, against what the doctor said. Every year, they had a special team of healthcare presenters and, and, um, and doctors and, that came together, and they came to Hilo to evaluate our baby and how our, our child was doing. And they had a testing at two years old, the last testing, with 100 being the highest. And let me read to you the scores that she received, this baby who's going to be dumb. The scores were 100 being the highest, 101, 104, 105, 108, 105, and 108. Amen? So my child, who's considered to be a dumb child, God had blessed her when we obeyed God's word. Amen? There's a text I want to share with you in the last text. Psalm chapter 1, verse 1 to 3. I will never forget that when he called us into that room, the ultrasound room, and he told us the news, I had asked the doctor, I said to the doctor, can I have a few moments alone with my wife? And they said, everyone clear the room. 
had about six people in there. They cleared the room. And I went to my wife's side, and I'll never forget, we, we held each other's hand, and I said to her, let's pray. I remember praying with her, and after we prayed, she said, I felt a peace coming to my heart after you prayed. And there's another time at the emergency room that I wasn't there and said this verse came up on a video I left with her. And when this is what the verse says, Psalms chapter 1, verse 1 to 3. And she said, when you, she read this verse, she said, I thought of you. And it brought peace to my heart. The Bible says, blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in the law does he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither. And whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. You know, it's a humbling experience for a spouse to tell you that a scripture verse reminds you of reminds them of you and gives a peace when she's going through suffering. And I praise God that even though I was suffering and broken at that time and I hit my rock bottom, that she was still able to see somehow the light of God shining through me. And I believe that it was because it was because I was broken. It was because I had cracks in my shining armor that the light was able to pierce through, beloved. Amen? God has many more lessons for me to learn. And I pray that I will continue and experience His grace in my life so that I may learn more of His patience and His faithfulness. It is my desire to see God's character love more fully so that I may be more and more like Him. This was part one. I have part two that I want to share with you in the future. I believe God has taught me the lessons that he wanted me to learn and still am learning as a minister of the gospel. My prayer is that I may be faithful and experience his character love more fully. How about you? If this is your desire, then will you raise your hand to me this morning? Amen. Our closing song this morning is 248. 248. My desire is that we would all love Jesus with all of our heart. Oh, how I love Jesus. I love Jesus how about you? Amen? 248. Oh, how I love Jesus.